We're going to read from the gospel for today, which is the gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse 21 through 30. In the synagogue at Nazareth, Jesus read from the book of the prophet Isaiah and began to say, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote me, quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, and when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. I think out of all of the sermons, that might be my favorite one. Um, the Sermon on the Mount would probably take precedent, uh, but then when Jesus did a little mini-sermon in his hometown and it almost got him killed... Uh, that kind of just stuck with me when I read that text. It always does. Um, the Lord be with you. It's good to see you here today. I just want to talk real briefly on the subject of cross the line. And I want to encourage you to cross the line. In fact, if, if you don't mind, just say it to yourself real quietly. Just say, or say it a little bit louder than quiet. But just say, cross the line. Cross the line. Okay. So lines and boundaries are important. I think we all know that. They're there for a reason. And... Uh, one of the things that came to my mind was when I was a child, there was a line that I didn't cross. I was supposed to. I was supposed to be in this certain boundary, and I didn't. I played Little League, and you guys know how Little Leaguers can be, especially their parents, and uh, they, they've grown that reputation for a reason. I was in the middle of a game. It was tied, and I was up at bat. Last batter. It's all on me. And I step up to the plate, and I'm the only person in the field, you know, that has an opportunity to score. I step up to the plate, the pitch comes, I hit the ball, and it goes into the outfield. Now, usually, that wouldn't be enough to give someone a home run, but because we're talking Little League here, and outfielders tend to just chase the ball over the place, it worked for my advantage. And I just took off, I started running, I rounded first, I come around second, I come around third, and when I round third... I see home base, I see the plate, and I'm just heading there. I'm just going straight towards home base. I touch home base, and my team goes crazy. We just won the game. Everyone's excited. All the people in the stands are happy. I'm elated. I can't believe this happened. And then out of nowhere, this gentleman, a parent from the opposing team, runs onto the field and says real loud, he didn't touch third base. And I've told this story many times before because it has scarred me for life. And he is so upset that I didn't touch third base 
And I'll never forget that moment that there was a boundary that I was supposed to, I was supposed to be in this space. And because my foot was an inch, this was debated, it's still debated, but because my foot was an inch away from that plate, we lost the game. I felt like the biggest loser in the world. Everybody say, oh, I'll be all right, I'll be all right. Um, lines define us. It's not just for sports. Lines give us meaning. Lines give us distinction. They give us this false sense of superiority, which really is nothing more than a desire to be loved. Lines are there. We use lines to make us feel loved, like we are inside the group. We are inside the right boundary. Lines have much to do with our own existential crises as they do with anything else. That's why even something like a border is really an existential expression. I, I was thinking about how I could elaborate on this a little bit in terms of lines and in-groups versus the out-groups and how being in the insider group can make you feel really good and being an outsider can make you feel really bad. And I was thinking about this and I had an experience that was kind of like that this week where I went to the Y, I'm trying to go there more frequently, ministers get a discount, they treat us really well. One of the things that you get as a minister is they give you access to this thing called, I think it's called the HFD room or HDF room. It's the closest thing to a country club that I could probably ever experience, even though it's nothing like a country club. It's at the Y, downtown here. And I went up into the HDF room or HFD room, I still can't remember, and there's all these men in there, and they are, uh, I'm almost 40, they are not, they're beyond that, and they're very, um, I'm not sure they're exercising, let's just put it that way. I don't know what's going on in there, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not exercising because they just sit around in towels, if you're lucky, towels. And I, I walk in and they all just, all eyes on me. They're just staring at me like, what are you doing here? And I, I, I nod, I do my little, <laughs> you know, I just sneak my way through and I find a locker. I still remember the number, locker 17. They're eyeing me down. I almost feel like I took someone's locker. No lock was on it, but they eye me down. No one says a word to me at all. So I go and I exercise. I come back and I want to take a shower. Now, this may not mean anything to you, but for me, it feels good to take a shower at the Y and then go to work. I just like that feeling, you know, like you did something with your day. And so... I understand that I am now entering into their sacred space. If the locker room is actually special to them, then the shower is the holy of holies. I, I'm passing through the curtain. And so I go into the shower. Now, in case you don't know, there are no stalls at the downtown Y. There's no curtains. There's nothing. It's old school. We're going back, back in the day. No stalls, no curtains. So I walk in and, okay, guys, here we are. And it's me and them, right? I'm still not certain what they were doing. They, I don't think they even needed to take a shower because it didn't look like any of them had worked out. So I walk in and they start having this conversation around me. They, they talk past me. There's guys over here, guys over there. And they're just talking past me. And this is, I kid you not, this is what they're talking about. Hey. This is what guy sounded this way. He sounded this way, Monty. He goes, hey. And he's not talking to me. He's talking to the guy over here. I know. <laughs> He said, you like swordfish? And so I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of hanging out, and they start this conversation. 15 minutes, they talk about swordfish. Then they talk about the different ways you can prepare it. Do you like it blackened? Do you like it with sauce? Do you like, oh, I love swordfish. You know, and this guy's just talking right past me. I almost wanted to chime in and say, I like swordfish. You know, I, I didn't say anything, though. I just left it there. And they did this to me the whole time I was in that space. 
ignored me, treated me like an outsider. And I realized all that is, is a line that allows them to feel like they are insiders and that makes them feel like they're loved. That makes them feel recognized as a person. This gives them some existential form. They need this, right? And I have to earn my way into that because it's special to them. Have you ever been the outsider? I'm just laying that out there. Have you ever been the outsider? Have you ever been the one that was the foreigner, the one that didn't belong, the one who wasn't or isn't qualified, the one who is invalid and unneeded? It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to anybody. And there's something inside of your soul that says, this isn't right. People were not meant to be treated this way. This is for internal work right now, inside your heart. But let me ask you this. Who is your outsider? Who are you ready to assign judgment to and criticism to rather than love and understand? Who's, who's outside of your circle? Who's on the inside of your circle? Now, I'll just say this. What I've seen a lot of in, in the Christian world is other Christians. We're really good within the church at drawing strong lines. Makes us feel very distinguished. And we put people outside of our line into the category of other. But where are your lines? Where are my lines? And how do they give us a false sense of meaning and a false sense of security and a false sense of love? Throughout history, folks have been known as heroes and villains, sometimes both, because they're willing to go across the line and push beyond the line and cross over that boundary Friday, we began Black History Month, and we celebrate a host of prophetic witnesses who are willing to cross lines. People like James Meredith and people like Diane Nash and Rosa Parks and Fannie Lou Hamer and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. These were folks who crossed lines. Let's get that clear. They crossed lines, not out of selfish interest or self-preservation, but because of the love of God in their lives, and because of the love of neighbor, they crossed lines. And it led them to translate that love into what we call justice. And Dr. Cornell West says, justice is just what love looks like in public. That's justice. Now, I want to pause for a second and say that as much as we dignify them today, and as much as we honor them today, they were not honored then. They were not dignified then. In fact, they were vilified. And here's the reason why. They were wrong, according to the law. They were wrong. They were in the wrong. They were not in the right. They were in the wrong. Because segregation was legal. And Jim Crow was legal. But they crossed that line. They crossed the line of the diner counter. They crossed the line of the voting uh, booth. They crossed the line of inequality in the face of demonic dehumanization. They crossed the line on the bus where they said, you can't sit here. And they said, I will. I'm going to. Not just for me, but for everybody. So when love, and if you hear anything, I just want you to hear this. When love is more important to us than being right, you're doing the work of the kingdom. When love is more important than being right, 
that is when we will finally start to do the Lord's work. Not pious religious activity, but when love can lead us into some sanctified line crossing. Uh, most of my heroes crossed the line until it got them into trouble. Including my Savior. Crossed the line until they were processed, punished, and imprisoned by some sort of governing body. Am I willing to cross lines? Am I willing to be wrong in the name of love? And just perhaps by being wrong in the name of love, I've actually entered into the rightness of God. Amen. Now, this is a radical concept. Love is absolutely imperative. Dr. King, in his uh, letter that he wrote from the Birmingham jail, he talks about this. He had a bunch of clergy who were upset with him, and they were chastising him. And he wrote them, and he said, I agree with Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. You say I'm in the wrong, but I believe I'm in the right because I'm acting out of love. James said in chapter 2 that love is the royal law. He literally says, if you keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Jesus said that's where the whole law and the prophets are hinged upon that. So at the risk of being a little too radical, I want to just give this to you. I want to offer this to you. Stop being right. Stop trying to be right and start being love. Stop trying to know more about God and be just open to knowing God. Allow the Spirit to transform you into the image of God, who is love. Because if you're not loving, you're not right. And guess what? Paul says, God isn't impressed. So when I heard that, when I heard Paul say, God isn't impressed, I hate country music, but for some reason, the prophet known as Shania Twain just started to creep into my mind. And I heard her famous sermon. It was a song that said, that don't impress me much. And I, I'm proud to say, I don't know the lyrics to that song, so I had to Google it. And the lyrics go like this. She says, I've known a few guys who thought they were pretty smart, but you got being right down to an art. You think you're a genius, drive me up the wall. You're a regular original, a know-it-all. And then she sings, oh, you think you're something, I can't do it. You think you're something special. You think you're something else. And here's the hook. She says, okay, so you're a rocket scientist. That don't impress me much. That's the hook right there. That's the chorus. She says, you don't impress me much. You got the brain, but do you have the touch? Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I think you're all right. But that won't keep me warm in the middle of the night. And I feel like I could just take that and run with it because a lot of Christians do a lot of things that try to impress a lot of people. They try to know a lot of things that impress a lot of people. But they're not keeping folks warm in the middle of the night. They're barely keeping folks warm in church. God is not impressed until we're willing to allow... I'm getting excited. Until we're willing to allow His Spirit to move us across the line and let love demand that we're actually willing to be wrong rather than being right. Because when we're willing to be wrong in the name of love, you just stepped into the rightness of God. Now, this is radical if we really believe this. Paul had to deal with a church gone wild. They were obsessed with their own gifts and abilities in Corinth. He's got Christians judging other Christians, going at each other, very similar to the denominationalism and the divisiveness that we see today. And about six years ago, 
There was a guy named John MacArthur. There is a guy named John MacArthur who held a conference. I was thinking about Paul and this divided church and accusations in Corinth. There is a guy named John MacArthur who accused half a billion Pentecostals, all of them, because there's a half a billion. He accused half a billion Pentecostals of being possessed by another spirit. And he held a conference about this. He called it uh, Strange Fire. And he, in a very public forum, in front of a lot of people, announced to the Christian world that Pentecostals are actually guilty of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in so many words. Now that hurts me because I identify with them. I, I love Pentecostals. I know some powerful Pentecostals that have good theology. But when a person is willing to just take half a billion, a half a billion Christians and just categorically put them in that group of the other. When I was a student at Youngstown State, I used to walk past this building. It's weird to me. I would walk past this building with judgment. And I would say, oh, that's a dead church. I would look at that building, this red door, and I would say, oh, that's a dead church. Why? Because they're not like me. Because they didn't worship like me. And it was easier for me to have false security by creating an us versus them dichotomy than to actually open up my heart and say, well, maybe they love Jesus like I do. And you know, this place became a healing sanctuary for me. And now I realize that if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm noisy. And if I have all the knowledge in the world and the theology is really correct, but I don't know how to translate that into a life of love, I'm just brassy. Paul's words still echo throughout all of history. I don't think that uh, anyone really imagined this happening in terms of denominationalism. There's over 30,000 denominations. That's what they say. I don't think the reformers had that in mind. I don't think Luther and Zwingli and Calvin had that in mind, but it happened. It's okay. I always think that there will be diversity in the church. Can we say amen? That's always going to be there. But I don't think the divisiveness and the division was forced. They didn't foresee that. And so I want you to just real closely with your ears today, listen to the words of Paul. Because they're still echoing to us in the sacred space. Hey, Pentecostals, if you speak in the tongues of mortals and angels, but you don't have love, you're a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Hey, Charismatics, if you have prophetic powers, but not love, you're nothing. Hey, sacramental folks, if you understand mysteries, all mysteries, but you have not love, you're nothing. Hey, heady Protestants, you have all the knowledge, but you don't have love, you're nothing. Hey, word of faith evangelicals, if you have all faith, even faith to move mountains, but you don't have love, you're nothing. This one kind of hits close to my heart. They all do. But hey, social justice, works of mercy, Christian activists, if you give away all your possessions and you hand over your body, but you don't have love, you're nothing. What he just did there in one big swoop, he went the entire stream of Christianity and all those emphasis that are within that stream. And he said, if you don't have love, you're not practicing Christianity because that is the foundation of everything. It's the only thing that's going to last. That's the only thing that we have that's permanent is love. 
Love is everything. <coughs> love is the only thing that we have. Can I get an amen? amen. Love is it. <coughs> love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It doesn't... Everything else is going to come to an end. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will cease. Here's the reason why. Because right now we only know in part. What do you know about God? Well, whatever you know about God, you only know it in part. So let's love across the lines this afternoon. Now, you'll drive yourself crazy if you try to figure out how to love that way. Are you always patient? Are you always kind? This is really hard. And let me just relieve you a little bit. It's not up to you. This is the work of God in your life. You have to trust him. It's a grace that he gives. It's not something that you muster up. Love is not, I read this and I thought this was so good. Love is not a virtue on a long list of virtues. It's not a characteristic that you can work towards. Love is a gift. You receive it, you share it. If you ever want to know how to be more loving, just focus on the love that God has given you. And when the moment's right, and God has you at the right place at the right time, and there is a line for you to cross in the name of love, you'll do it. And you'll do it knowing that afterwards people are going to look for the nearest cliff. They're going to to come up to you and try to throw you over that cliff. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll know I have to love these people the way God has loved me. Look at what just happened here with Jesus in Luke chapter 4. God is always crossing God's own lines. He edits out the us versus them in Isaiah 61. And when he does that, he leaves out, remember we talked about this last week, he leaves out vengeance towards Israel's enemies. And when he does that, you know, the church, the church is okay. They're kind of sitting there like, "Mm." he didn't finish, he didn't finish, he didn't finish the verse, but uh, that's okay. But then he goes a step further. He realizes they're uncomfortable and he says this, let me tell you something. There were a lot of widows in the time of the great famine. And yet God sent the prophet all the way to a pagan one in Zarephath. And then he goes, and there were a lot of lepers in Israel with us, our own. There were a lot of lepers, but God sent the prophet to not only a pagan one. He sent the prophet to a commander of the enemy. That commander, the violent commander, the healing of God, I should say, went to him. Let me just wrap this up, and I hope I don't get into too much trouble, but I'm going to say it. Cross God's lines, and I want you to hear my heart. I'm not being unfaithful here. God's law said, don't touch lepers. Jesus comes along and says, right? I think Jesus was like Nemo in Finding Nemo. Don't touch the boat. The book says, don't touch the boat. The book says, you do not touch lepers, and Jesus comes along and he says, ah, right? And he touches them. And everyone says, ah, you just crossed God's line, right? God's law said you don't heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus is around a guy who needs a healing. And he says, you know what? Um, stretch out your arm. Boom, healing, right? Crossing God's line. Making everybody upset, but crossing God's own line. God's line was, you don't sit or talk with pagan women. Jesus goes to a well, and he sits and he talks with a Samaritan woman. Always crossing God's line. In the Old Testament, you find it too. 
the, the Lord said, you can't see me and live. And Isaiah comes along and says, I've seen him. I, I saw the Lord. God is always leading us across his own lines. He continues to act outside of our holy walls. God is still unfolding new narratives in our midst. God is reaching out to people on the edge. The God we proclaim will not be domesticated. The God that we love will not be homebound. The God that we serve will not be shut in. The God that we worship will not be confined by our temples and stagnated by our stories. This dynamic God will either jar you into wrath or faithfulness, one or the other. He's either going to make you really upset or he's going to move you into radical love. But you have to be willing to cross the line. You have to be willing to love across the line. Love is not a quality or a virtue. It's a permanent thing. It's what we build on. And love is going to outlast knowledge. Listen, Christian, your Bible study is great. Your ongoing education is great. Your quest to know your Bible better is great. Hey, Steph. But let me offer something to you. Let me offer this. And if you agree with this, just say a big amen for the record. Knowing more about the Bible is not knowing more about God. Knowing more about God has little to do with actually knowing God. You can know a lot about God. There are atheistic professors who know more about God than you. Yeah, but that is not the same as knowing God. And what I want to encourage us here to do is to actually open up our hearts to know God. Not about God, but know God. How do we do that? Through His grace. See, when you try to know more about God, you're putting all of your faith in your own efforts, your own work. You want to know more God? You want God to be in you? Then you have to eat him. Jesus loved us enough to not give us his own text. Jesus did not give us the Bible. The church did. Jesus gave us the Eucharist. That's what he gave us. He didn't leave us a manuscript. He never wrote his own gospel. Here's what he gave us. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. If you want to know more about God, this is the radical thing that's happened in my life. I have come to know God in a different way, and that is through the means of grace. These moments where I'm just open, and I don't get how it works. It's a mystery in that sense. I don't understand how it fully works. I only know in part. But when I come to the table, I come open. My heart is open. Father, I pray that we would know more of you. Not more about you. Not more abstractions. Not more theory. But that we could live a life that is full of your presence. I pray that every time we come here and we gather around this table, that we could sense your spirit somehow working in our midst. And Lord, more than anything, that you would fill us so that we can leave this place, go back out into the world, and become the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, the body of our Lord. And we understand, God, that this, is, this has very little to do with what we're doing. And this is your grace in this moment. So Lord, let us practice the more excellent way of love. Father, let us see how the table represents your love. A love that was willing to cross the line and come to us. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little.
You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. You can find out more about us at our website, thesacredcommons.com. If you feel connected to this ministry in any way, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your partnership. It helps us continue to do this work in the city of Youngstown, where we are happy to be launching a new church plant. Finally, why don't you come and join us for a service? 323 Wick Avenue at the beautiful St. John's Episcopal Church. We meet in the chapel. Come and worship with us. We'd love to see you there. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.